My guest today is the author of Trading in a Nutshell, now on its fourth edition. He has presented at trading and investing expos around the world from Melbourne to New York and Tokyo to London. He has worked for many of the leading brokerage companies worldwide and has presented on the likes of CNBC and the former Sky Business. He is a fine proponent of technical analysis. Most importantly, I'm proud to call him my mentor and I'm even prouder to call him my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stuart McPhee. Welcome, Stuart. Uh, Chris, thank you very much. It's very uh, kind of you to say all those things. Thank you. You're most welcome. That is, of course, a quick summary of your stats, as I like to call them, but I don't think it really tells your story. Can you please tell the listeners a little bit more about your journey, why you got involved in markets in the first place, and why you settled on technical analysis as your discipline of choice? Uh, Look, the second question is a great question. Um, I think it is very important to... I guess, explain yourself when you choose a particular approach to analysing the markets. So I like that you've asked that question, so thank you. I'll get to that second. The first bit, you know, it's hard to condense 25 years. I mean, you've just spoken for 20 seconds on my trading journey, and it's hard to condense, you know, 25 years into such a short introduction. But I think if we were to go back, the path is like many people, and that is had some money, wanted to invest it, uh, wanted to do something with it rather than just sitting in the bank account and went to a financial planner of all people and the financial planner said, oh, you're so young, you have the rest of the life ahead of you, you can take a lot of risk because of that, not as if you're about to retire, um, stocks would be a great option for you. And I've thought, stocks, like shares, yeah, I, I know about them, I know about shares and companies and ownership of companies, um, that's great, I'm, I'm more than happy to go with that. Um, look, first question, if I may, um, which ones do I buy? Like, I know there's not one on the exchange, nor is there two or three, right? There's thousands. So which, and of course, you almost left me at that point. It was like, there you go, I've given you what you need to do. You now need to go and work out the rest. So there was certainly no guidance in what shares to buy. It was just go and buy shares. That's where you should put your money. And go, okay, well, that's what I'll do. Well, of course, that opened up is it a Pandora's box, just this can of worms of, Hang on, there's 2,000 stocks on the exchange. <laughs> Which ones do you pick? Like, it's ridiculous. You can't buy all of them. And you need to pick a handful to buy, to invest. So it just presented a massive problem for me, where I thought I was almost back to square one. Even though I hadn't advanced that far at all, but I was really back to, well, now I've got a bigger problem ahead of me. The easy thing was working out where to put the money. It was now working out which stocks to buy. So that really opened my eyes to... How do people do this? Like, people must face this dilemma every day. How do you go and find which stocks to buy, which to sell, which to avoid completely? Wow. And that's when, you know, I really sort of got quite interested in the markets. So I tell you, the first thing that really got me very interested was I actually bought this financial planner meeting took place in a bank. And can you believe I bought shares in that bank? Because for the only reason that I was sitting in that bank, and it was a, there was a sense of comfort of knowing, well, this is an established bank. They've been around for a long time. I might as well go and buy shares in them. Why? Because I had this meeting. Of all things, I had this meeting in this bank. And everyone would know this bank very, very well. They're one of the big four banks. And I, had, I bought shares in them. Well, now that I've bought shares in this bank, I'm now incredibly interested in financial markets and the stock exchange because now I have money at risk. 
and now I have money in these shares and I'm now very closely following the price moving up and down. Well, now that raises another question. Why does that price move up and down? Why is it moving every second? What's doing this? What's all these orders that are going through every day when I see millions of shares changing hands? Why are they selling all these shares? I just bought them. All these questions that we now look back and think how silly, but when you don't know any different and this is your first foray, you go, this is all completely confusing. I'm completely lost. I don't know what's happening. Fast forward a little bit. um, And then all of a sudden, a few years later, I spent a lot of money on a course, which on reflection was a lot of money, but it was very good value for money. And we can have a separate conversation about value for money on courses and the like. But this was actually really quite good value for money. And I learned so much then. Um, and that's when it was very much opened my eyes to technical analysis. And we'd have these meetings uh, every Tuesday night or something, one night of the week. And a group of us, maybe 15 or 20, would meet in this coffee shop. And they, back in the day, people would bring these laptops, which I swore you know, weighed half a ton. They were that big clunk of machines. And they'd bring along these laptops and they'd show their shares on the charts and, wow, this is fantastic. And they're talking about trends and this line here and this line. And it just resonated with me straight away. And I look back now and I think I, I think I like the clarity of the charts. I think the charts showed you the price. And even if you're a fundamentalist, it was probably important to study a little bit about the price because that was the only thing that directly impacted whether you made money or not. And I learned that right early on. So you can do all your weekends worth of research on a company, but there's really only one thing which determines whether you make money or not, and that's the price of the very thing that you're interested in investing in, not necessarily all the research you do. So the technical analysis really resonated with me straight away. That clarity, objective view on things. I learned later, you know, it's studying mass psychology and all these other things and patterns repeat themselves and why support and resistance levels happen and all that. But back in those days, it was just... I like the clarity of looking at charts and looking at the price and whatever those people were talking to at that coffee shop over those evenings clearly resonated with me because that's the path I took. I thought it just made a lot of sense. I'll finish on one thing about that. I think the fundamental side scared me. I think that I almost felt like there was way too much to learn and under, I almost felt like I had to be an accountant to understand the sort of things people were talking about with the fundamentals because I was talking about all those numbers all those you know pieces of data about profit and loss and all those acronyms and you know um, I found that a bit daunting um, whereas I felt the charts were just very simple and very succinct and very to the point I think that's probably what resonated with me the most anyway there's a abbreviated version of um, you know back in the early days anyway what got me interested and what got me into technical analysis hmm. Thank you. There is another step there that I just wanted to touch on. Your history, your story. Uh, Our listeners might not know that you were in the army. It's something that you've never made a secret of. I think uh, you're one of the uh, youngest graduates from Duntroon, if I'm not mistaken, if I've done my research correctly, which I'm pretty sure I have. (laughs) Don't be embarrassed about it. It's something to be proud of. But one word that you didn't uh, mention there was discipline. But it sounds like that you were attracted to the discipline and the rules that technical analysis provided. Is that a fair assumption? Uh, and then I've got another follow-up question for you once you've answered that. Very good very good question and well done on your research. Yes, um, rules appeal to me. If you were to ask me what's one of my weaknesses as a person, as a, as a man, as an individual, 
I would say often I see too many things as black and white. Um, that's just, I think, a weakness that I have. I'm very black and white. But with the rules and with trading, I think that actually has worked for me. And that is if I see a stock that doesn't meet my criterion, I don't care what, I, yeah, I don't care what else is happening and how much it's been recommended by people and how much they're talking about it. If it doesn't meet my criterion, I'm, I'm that black and white where I say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not taking any further interest. So I think from a rules standpoint, being black and white has actually really quite helped me. If we apply it to sports just briefly, you know, as a kid, I was a referee at basketball. I loved learning about the rules. I loved learning about what you could do on a basketball court and what you couldn't do. It actually helped me become a better player because I knew what I could do that other players probably didn't know. Um, I loved the rules. I loved abiding by a set of you know conditions. Uh, I'm now a golf referee. I love the rules and I referee at events. And I just love the idea of knowing what those rules are and I think it makes me a better golfer. Not that it's helped me a huge amount, but it just I think it helps a little bit. So you go back to the discipline. Yeah, I think I've always been comfortable with rules. And I think in trading, well, I know in trading, if you don't have a set of rules that you're prepared to commit to and adhere to and be disciplined and all those other character attributes that we could talk about, then you're going to find it really difficult. So, yeah, I think, yeah, coming from the Army, I think I probably, well, and I know I found it a lot easier than most people because I've been in a very structured environment where you can't help but become very structured and disciplined and follow process and procedures otherwise the consequences are severe that's the reality of a military environment so that certainly has helped me look I'm very reluctant to talk about these things sometimes because I don't want people to feel oh I know why he's successful that's because he was an army officer so he's definitely got the discipline because he did that well I'm not an army officer I didn't go through a military environment therefore I know I can't be successful at it I won't have the same levels of discipline as he will. And that's, I've always been reluctant to be very open about, hey, I was an army officer and it really helped me because I know people in the audience are going to say, oh, well, there's my out. Mm. You know, I won't be that disciplined. I'm no way I'm going to be as disciplined as him. No way. I haven't been through that environment. Um, well, there's, there's my out. I've got my now excuse to not be successful um, because I know I have to be super disciplined and I can't do it. So... Interesting you should say that, though, because some people might also look at it as that's the standard to which I have to rise if I want to be somewhat successful. Uh, Regardless of the degree of discipline required, some is required. You can't just wing it. You (laughs) you know, I'm successful. I don't mind saying uh, to the listeners out there because you taught me discipline and that I needed to have a structure and a process. And I would say perhaps my discipline doesn't rise to the level of yours. But I did learn pretty early on from being around you and listening to you that I was going to need to have some of it if I was going to replicate or get anywhere near your level of success. And I think, fortunately, I have. Look, very nice of you to say, and I'm glad you then raised that because I'm looking at the negative of that's the way people view it. But you are absolutely 100% correct that others would look at that as aspirational, you know, as in that's the, the target, the benchmark. And I am capable of reaching that, but I've got to reach it and I've got to do work too. And we could talk about discipline and, you know, the things that I help people with and how to build that discipline. But no, that, that's fantastic you raise that. It's the positive view on it. And that is perhaps that's the standard. I don't want to go through a boot camp. I don't want to go through a military environment, <laughs> but I believe that people are capable of you know working on certain things and attributes and building them and developing them and getting better at them and discipline surely is one of them 
Now, we know the world is full of all sorts of people, and one of them is undisciplined people who don't care. Well, there's also other people that are highly capable, incredibly intelligent and bright and positive and full of energy and just tackle life like nothing else. And yeah, they're more than capable, and there's the in-betweens as well. So yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. If that's the target, if that's the benchmark, then and that allows people to aspire to something, then that's fantastic. Yeah, that's a positive. So I'm glad you've raised it. Great. My follow-up question, uh, just for the sake of completeness, was going to be, do you think you would have been as successful as you have been with your trading had you not had the military experience? But you, you sort of answered it in a roundabout way. Uh, and it's difficult to hypothesize, but yeah, if you could just talk to that a little bit, if you think it would have been the same outcome. So purely speculating, can I just go with yes or no? Like yes and no. Look, I just, maybe, but probably not. But I think I, I had it in me. I all, you know, from an early day before I went and joined, went to Dundroon, you know, I was, an, I was a basketball referee. I learned about rules that it resonated with me. I loved, you know, when I did my rules course uh, for the, to, in golf, there's probably 30 in that course over two days. I really do believe I actually ask more questions than everybody else put together. That's just my, that's how much I appreciate rules and how much I value learning about, you know, what's right and what's not right. So would I have been the same? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe it was within me. I just needed another environment to get it out of me. You know, I did an interview not so long ago and someone asked about, you know, risk and I said how, I think sometimes with managing risk, you have to feel it to fully appreciate it and yeah. believe it and do something about it. And it's only when you physically feel it, whether it be churning in the stomach or the heart beating faster or lying awake at night because you've taken on way too much risk and you can't sleep, then you feel it and you go, oh, now I appreciate why managing risk is so important. And now I know why Stuart said that thing 500 times. But when he said it 500 times, it didn't mean anything to me. I just go, yeah, that makes sense. But they didn't do anything about it. And now they've lived through it and they've had all those physical feelings and felt awful and go, wow, this is way too risky or I'm not managing risk very well. Then they appreciate it. So maybe I may have gone through a sequence of events where I've gone, wow, discipline is much more important than I thought. You know, Mm. and I may have got to that level or something close. Yeah, I don't know. I know it's helped. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I know it's helped. We provided a nice segue there. If you could tell the shower story, please. And this is a PG-13 story. No one needs to bleep anything out. But the the shower story. You told this at a workshop that I attended. Okay, all right. Um, Just on that, just before we dive into the shower story, do you remember the first time I sat in an audience of yours? And do you remember what happened? I think this is a funny story, just as an aside. Okay, but can I answer the shower story first? Uh, You can. All right, and then we'll get back to whatever that... The... Fairly sure, I think I've only told one shower story in my life, was when I lost all that money after the NASDAQ crashed and I, at the time, I'd built up my account to the equivalent of a house and we'd even seen an accountant about drawing down on something and putting a deposit on a house. We'd even got to that level because I'd done so well making all this money. And as I'm quite open to admit that, you know, I was buying something in the morning and selling it five minutes before the close and I'd made money. And for a small part of me thought I was a genius. And I'd go home to my wife and said, I made X dollars today. And she go, how'd you do that? And I said, oh, I don't know. I just bought something in the morning. I sold it five minutes before the close. Well, of course, all of that came tumbling down. And it hit me figuratively 
like a ton of bricks. I felt like I'd been hit by a bus doing 60 kilometers an hour. It absolutely rocked me. It's just completely, you know, just hit by a ton of bricks. To the core. And yeah. to absolutely shattered me. And the bit in the shower was, you know, I still vividly remember times how I was processing all that and mentally dealing with it. And one of them was being in the shower, you know, almost physically vomiting or being sick because it absolutely grabbed me physically. And, you know, people now, you know, people I'm sure would have dealt with that very differently and brushed it aside or laughed it off. Maybe not laughed it off, but you know what I mean? Just dealt with it differently, but it absolutely shattered me. Shattered me completely. And any sense of confidence I'd got in the last 12 months, probably a little bit poorly based. It wasn't on great skill. It was more just market environment. Anything I'd built up over that time, gone. Mm. Let's say down the drain, you know. Yeah. Absolutely physically belted me as if I'd been hit by a bus. That's how it physically affected me, is wanting to throw up and just physically, yeah, it was awful. And, yeah, that's the shower story was. No, I, and, I, I and think you, it's a, sorry to cut across, I think it's a great story because I know the level of success that you've had since, uh, obviously writing your book and being a successful trader and doing all those things that we talked about in your stats, but it was born out of pain. Yes. It wasn't born out of, you know, you just walked into this wasn't and started sailing, gliding no. through and, no. and making money and being a success. <clears throat> it was born out of pain. And one of the things that you said, I think, last time I heard you tell that story was that was part of the thing that made you decide I'm not going through this again. I will not experience that again. As long as I'm doing this, I'm not going to have that happen again. No. And that was the thing that inspired you to go on the journey that you went on. Yeah, you're spot on. Uh, two things I'll say. Number one, that wasn't the worst bit of that experience. The worst bit was telling my wife. Yeah. That was the worst bit. Now, I couldn't have asked for a better response from her. Incredibly supportive. It could have gone a lot of different ways, and I couldn't have asked for a better response from her, but that was the worst bit, Telling, just literally fronting up to my wife and, yeah. and admitting that. And what happened then was the next few months, I tried to make it all back because I had made all this money, lost it all, then tried to make it back and lost more money, and I had to tell my wife again. Well, then, of course, I've absolutely bottomed out. Nothing in the account, nothing in savings, nothing I could just grab my hand of to put into account to try to trade again. It was just gone. So this is, this is an incredibly pivotal moment in my trading journey was at that point, having bottomed out, I could have just walked away yep. and never looked at the ASX or any other financial market ever again in my life. Would have been really easy. And had I not made the money I'd made in the last 12 months, that's probably exactly what I would have done. However, I had made money and I had seen it was possible. I just, as you said, I knew I had to do things a bit differently to the way I was doing it. And the whole idea of having trailing exits popped in because I really didn't have that. It was just everything was going up. So the whole idea of having trailing exits really wasn't an issue because everything just kept going up. So yeah, I knew I had to do things differently. And I'm also very open about this when I present to people, is I know there's people in that audience, I'm sure there's people in the audience listening right now who are sceptical about whether you can actually make money consistently from trading. And I've always believed scepticism is very healthy. It's a very good thing we have in us. And I think we have it here with this endeavor, and that is people sitting there thinking, I'm not convinced that you can actually do this. I might get one trade that makes money, but I'm not interested in one trade, I'm after consistency and doing this for a long time and I'm not convinced it's possible. 
And I had been convinced. And I think that was a massive turning point. I didn't probably appreciate it at the time of how significant an event that was. Um, I had been convinced, so I didn't walk away. I knew, no, no, this is something I really, really want to do and I think I can make this work. I just need to do things a lot differently (laughs) to what I've just done the last 12 months in giving all that money back and going through that horrible emotional roller coaster that I went through and being almost physically sick in the shower and fronting my wife and all that. So, yeah, I knew I had to do things differently. I knew I was capable of doing that and I didn't walk away because I've been convinced. So I think that was really important. So interesting you should talk about uh, believing, Stuart, and convincing people that you can make a good return out of trading and it can be something that you do successfully long term. I must admit, I didn't believe it when I first started. I didn't believe it probably until I saw you do it and then using your techniques in the business that I was working with at the time and that being successful, then I started to believe it. But it leaves it leads me to one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, and this is something that we've spoken about before, is when did you really start to believe that it could be something that you would do long-term? When did you feel as though you had it? <laughs> um, it's like when you believe you've mastered golf and then you come back and have the worst round in five years. Uh, probably during that time when I'd lost all the money and so completely bottomed out you know, with the money, no, nothing in the account, but also emotionally a wreck just from that experience. Everything else was fine, you know, <laughs> happily married and all that stuff, but just with the trading. And it was something I was really quite excited about. To, so to have been hit by a bus was really uh, quite a mood killer. It was pretty yeah. devastating. Um, it was that time afterwards, probably the next year or two or three, where I've literally gone back to work and done a lot of testing, which I hadn't done a lot of previously. But of course, I had no money to trade with, but I really wanted to do something in the market. So I found my hobby then became very much ramped up to doing all this testing, working, learning a lot more about technical analysis. Good thing about technical analysis is it, yes, it helps you clearly identify trading rules, but allows you when you go through that study, it allows you to work out what works and what doesn't work, which is, would you believe, really important, (laughs) as silly as it sounds. It's really important to work out what works, what may work and what definitely doesn't work, because that helps you you know, narrow the gap down, narrow the field to your possible trading rules. And it was that time afterwards. Did I did it click? I don't remember a day where I've gone, I think it was one of those, you know, you look back and go, well, something's clearly happened in the last three or four years because I'm now in a much different place than I was three or four years ago. Yep. And I think it's a lot of those overnight success stories are not overnight successes no, at all. The amount, <laughs> amount of work has gone into yeah, it. Yeah, and, and I think that's so, I can't put it, time on it or a date but I think it is one of those things where I look back and go there was a time when things started to click but I didn't I didn't say wow I've definitely got it you know I've worked it out it just I think it was that constant gradual improvement and I think that's what we try to strive in for in a lot of things you know that constant gradual improvement and I think that's what I tried to do with this and the back testing was a part of that learning about technical analysis was a part of that um, at that time I started doing a lot of coaching because I didn't have any money to trade with. I'd had a lot of trading experience, and I sought out individual coaching clients one-on-one. I drove to their homes in Melbourne and sat right next to them. I needed to get money from something because I wasn't trading, but I had something to offer. Well, all of a sudden, I didn't tell them this at the time, but my clients were teaching me things. 
Yeah. You know, so it was all part of the journey of I just picked up one more thing from that person and one, and I still vividly remember my very first ever coaching client, a guy who rang me out of the blue and said, and he actually gave me the idea to actually go and help people. He said, oh, I've heard you, blah, blah, blah. I knew him from a traders group, or he knew me from a traders group. And he said, oh, I heard, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. Do you reckon you could help me with this? I'm going, um, yeah. He said, no, yeah, I'll pay you and everything. I'm going, yeah, you know, yes. Definitely can now, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's where it all started. And I, you know, told my wife and she said, oh, maybe you need to do that with a few more people. And I didn't have any money to trade with. My account was effectively empty. So I had to do something. And so all of a sudden, I'm still very much immersed in trading and the markets. I'm doing my own stuff and testing and the like. All of a sudden now I'm going meeting people and people who are older than me, who have had experience in the markets, I was definitely helping them and it might've been software related or something, but they were in their own little ways helping me as well. And it was all part of the journey. I don't think there was a moment. I don't think it was an overnight success sort of story. It was just over those next you know, five years, I think were very, very formative, like really important. Yeah, and I think that's what we've discussed in the past. That's sort of what I was getting to is it wasn't until about five years in, you know, from the, we've got to circle back to the story of the first time that I attended <laughs> oh, yeah. one of your yeah. one of your workshops but that was sort of the first foray into trading and technical analysis and me learning. Uh, and I didn't even go out of the way. Again, it was because we were working for the same company to learn about technical analysis. And I reckon about five years after that was when it started coming together. Again, just because of the work that I was doing and listening to you and reading mm-hmm. books and paying attention, that finally I started to look at trading as, oh, I, I can make good returns out of this. I can be successful at this. And it's something that can carry me forward rather than it just being, oh, you know, it's a bit of fun or, mm. you know, it's something that I have to do for writing for a newsletter or something like that. No, <laughs> it became something that I wanted to be and felt I was capable of doing it. You talked about the mountain of work. And, you know, we've used this uh, analogy before about about hobby and profession. Yeah. And that, you know, if I look at golf, I'll never be a professional golfer. Um, you know, I play twice a week regularly. But I have a decent handicap. I play pretty well and I have some good rounds and not so good rounds. But I certainly can play better than someone who plays once every year because I play twice a week. Yeah. And But I'll never be a professional because I don't put in the amount of time and effort required to get to that elite level. Although the ship's probably sailed on that anyway. But you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the, It simply comes down to the, the commitment, both physically but emotionally as well, to a, an endeavour. And for a lot of people, trading is just a hobby. And therefore, they enjoy it, probably don't make a lot of money out of it. In fact, it probably costs them money, takes up a bit of their time, but there's an interest there and they enjoy it. They enjoy meeting people at traders groups and the like, but it may not become a profession for them. So they need to... Sorry to cut across, was it you who said a hobby will cost you money and a profession will make you money when talking about trading? Am I I getting that from you or is that something No, probably someone... Look, it's probably very similar to what I'm saying. I don't think I've used that exact phrase, but... That's pretty much, yeah, a hobby generally probably costs you money. Yeah. But you'll enjoy it. It's an interest, like any hobby. Flying, you know, model aircraft, you know, it costs you money, but, you, geez, you love doing it. Yeah. And you really enjoy it, and you learn something every time, maybe when you fly it or something, but you don't make any money from it. For, for me, trading for too many people is a hobby because of all those things I've just described. But being a hobby, it means they won't actually get you know, make significant gains and, and be incredibly profitable and perhaps turn into what they could call a full-time, you know, professional deriving a, an income from trading because they don't take that 
what is really quite a significant step yeah. um, to really committing everything you have, you know, uh, in fact, their entire heart and body and everything into a particular endeavor to get to become the best they can. That's probably won't do that. Yeah. Mm. We are making this sound as though you sit at the screens 16 hours a day. You've got CNBC running in the background, the ticker across the bottom, constantly paying attention to prices, that this consumes your entire being. Uh, let's dispel that. Let's talk about, uh, yes, the fact that there is a lot of work to be done up front, but now what your lifestyle looks like, because I think it's important for people listening to understand where you can get to with your trading and how powerful it's become for you in terms of the time you dedicate each week. Well, you've seen me smile when you said that because you know I don't stare at a screen for anything remotely close to 16 hours a day. In fact, I really don't even look at it for an hour a day. So... The whole I think people have this idea that being a full-time trader means sitting at this. And you know what? I was one of those. Years ago when I was thinking about this, I thought I'd be sitting in front of a screen all day. That would be my full-time. Well, full-time means you do it for a working day, right? So full-time trader. And people still think that, and that's fair enough. And you can trade that way. You can sit at a screen for 8, 10 hours a day and pick off things and speculate and be quite you know, short term, you can do that, but you absolutely don't have to do that. And I don't think that's ever appealed to me. And I, I don't think the idea of staring in a screen, looking at numbers all day and having numbers flash, you know, green and red, and oh, that's never appealed to me, nor has the very speculative, perhaps very short term, perhaps a little bit higher risk nature of that style of trading has never appealed to me. So, yeah, trading doesn't take up a huge amount of my time, but you're right, you can't ignore the fact that it takes a lot of work to put yourself in that position mm. where the point where trading can become almost effortless and certainly doesn't demand a lot of your time, but there's a lot of effort. And you're right back in the first edition of my book, so it's now 20 years ago, I think I wrote the analogy of a marathon runner and someone who runs a marathon in 210 and you go, you know, what an incredible effort. And that marathon runner would probably say, no, no, that was effortless. That was nothing for me to run that marathon in 210. And you go, what are you talking about? You can hardly breathe when you finish. But it's effortless compared to the effort that's been put in prior to that day to put himself in a position to run a marathon in 210. Right? It's almost nothing compared to the effort that's been put in. And I think you can say that with a lot of endeavours and trading is one of them. All that work I've done over the years and the emotional pain and being sick in the shower. Never thought I'd talk about that as much as we have. But <laughs> um, all those things getting to this position now makes the process just a lot more streamlined and efficient. And I firmly believe in following a sequence, a logical step-by-step process in your trading. You know, the trading process becomes streamlined, become efficient, just work through that process every day or every four hours or whatever you need to do every week for my superannuation fund, as it turns out. It should be, I think, for a lot of people, it can be like that. For me, it works perfectly for me because of all the other things I do outside of the markets with different organisations. So, yeah, look, you can do that, but I couldn't think of too many things worse than staring at a screen for 12 hours a day looking at numbers flash, you know, green and red. Yeah, that's just my personal preference. No, it's, it's powerful stuff, uh, and I think it's critically important. Just circling back to, again, me being in the audience and uh, as well as being a great trader, um, the things you say do have an impact. So another thing you just said was you couldn't think of anything worse than sitting in front of the screens all day. And there's power in that, and that's something that you've said before. But I think it's important for people to understand that they don't have to be hogtied to 
a computer screen. That's the beauty of trading. It can almost be whatever you want it to be. Like you say, yeah, it can correct. be full-time or you can do your, your 15 minutes uh, a day or whatever it is and then you can go and dedicate yourself to other activities. Spot on. But again, uh, just we'll, we'll, we'll break it up a little bit. Pivoting back to uh, me being in the audience the first time that I listened to you. Do you remember what happened? I think I do, but I'd rather you say it. Okay, so uh, we were both working for the same company. I was very young, and I have written about this story in the newsletter before, where I was sitting in the audience and I, was, I had a hooded jumper on. And at one of the first uh, recesses, the break-up, you came up to me and said something like, are you even listening to what I'm saying? Because you thought I had the hooded jumper on and I had my headphones in. And little did you know, you're laughing now, but little did you know I was hanging off every word. And little also did you know that the next time that you came into the offices that we were sharing, I was going to pepper you with questions (laughs) and probably not leave you alone for the next six months. So I just thought that was a a funny story that would break things up. I think that hood thing was white. And it had like the drawstring for, the, did, for yeah. the hood bits for the pull it tighter. Correct. And that was hanging down on your sort of the front of your chest. Yep. And I thought it was headphones. Yeah, this clown's not even paying attention. Why did he turn up? <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. That's yeah. exactly what I thought. <laughs> no, very interesting though. Like I said, little did, did you realise that, um, yeah, I was hanging off every word. And that's why I remember a lot of things that you've said and, and the shower story. And there's a lot of power in those stories. So it's good that we can share them with the audience <laughs> as you chuckle away. Let's move along though. So I do have some more uh, questions that I wanted to ask you. Here's a really important one that I want to get your take on. How do you feel about rewarding yourself when you do have some success? How important <clears throat> is that to you? It is pretty important. And I think we can do this, you know, it's a very individual thing. I think, yeah, I think you need to pat yourself on the back every now and again. You know, we don't get a lot of recognition in life. And when, you know, trading can be one of the most solitary endeavors yeah. you'll ever come across. Yeah. You know, and I'm reading as I get older, I'm reading the importance of social interaction and how important it is to maintain those connections and be with people and the like. And trading can be a very solitary endeavor. And so rewarding yourself, you know, where do you get that recognition from? Yeah. You know, if you have a really good week in the markets, where's the team you go and high five? Sure. You know, don't run down the hallway in the office and high fiving everyone. You know, there's not that balloons and cake for lunchtime on Friday. You, there's, you just don't have that environment. So I'm a big believer in patting yourself on the back. And whether it be, you know, I used to do a lot with uh, dinner with, a, I'm a very, you know, I'm a very family person with my wife and three daughters. And, you know, I've, I've worked out of a home office for 20 years. And so I've been around my children growing up for 20 years and I've walked them to and from school more times than I could even possibly estimate. So I've been very family focused. So one of the things for me was a family dinner. Now we still eat out a lot, but it was that significance of my wife and I maybe having a glass of wine and little cheers and our three daughters sitting there completely oblivious to why we were, you know, just a little toast, a little clink of the glasses. Um, And that was because I'd had a good week or just one particular trade that really had worked out well and I'd got out of it. So I do believe in rewarding. And I said, I think it's a very individual thing and whether it is dinner out with the family or a holiday away, whatever it might be, or yeah, I mean, Scott, you know, it's infinite possible opportunities or ways of rewarding yourself. But I just think, you know, you smirked when I said it because it's so true that you, you know, again, from being very open from a personal standpoint, I left what I believe is one of the best teams in Australia, and that's in military. I yeah. mean, the whole environment is all about teamwork. 
and working with each other. It's incredible focus. You know, individuals don't survive very well in the military. So it's very much team. And I've gone from one of what I think one of the best teams in the country to no team. Yeah. Massive culture shock for me. Massive environmental change for me. And so when I'm looking around, not that you did a lot of high fives in the army, but when you're looking around for that, you know, recognition and reward and people recognizing your, you know, achievements and the like, and you're looking at four walls, right? You're looking, there's no one there. So that was a huge culture shock for me. So rewarding yourself, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Again, very personal thing to do, but I'm a believer in recognizing the positive and rewarding yourself and just reinforcing that you are doing things well. Um, yeah, so that's my take on that. Very good, thank you. Uh, to some other questions here. Biggest mistakes that traders and or investors make? I could say 20 things here, but I'll just say one, and that is probably underestimating the work required. Hopefully that's... Very succinct. No, yeah, it is succinct, succinct and hopefully important. it's not too simple. Simply underestimating what's ahead of them. Yeah. And, you know, I still remember why I got my checkbook out to pay for this first course that I ever paid for because this guy delivered a very slick sales presentation and I still remember him having charts up on the screen in this hotel function room and I'm sitting there and he's talking about oh you buy it here and sell it here and and he was running through the prices and the profits and I was always good at math and I was running through all the numbers with him in real time and you know I can follow all that and I'm starting to think to myself why haven't I heard about this before this just seems this is amazing I can do this from home, do it full time, stare at a screen for 12 hours a day. You know, this sounds fantastic. Why did I learn about this 10 years ago? And I remember thinking, yeah, and I mean, I had my checkbook out. I wanted to learn about this and paid in the money for the course and, and the like. And I think the greatest mistake is thinking that trading is easy. I think it's the hardest easy money there is. <laughs> you know, I, I really do. It's just people, and I think it boils down to two things. One, well, probably more, but two things I'll highlight. One is you only have to buy and sell. That's all you do. So how difficult can it be if you only make two decisions? And the other thing is the no obvious barrier, no obvious pathway. I was thinking about this driving in, that I was listening to a podcast driving in here this morning, and I thought to myself, if you and I said, let's go and learn Mandarin, let's go and learn how to speak Chinese, we probably can immediately appreciate that's not going to be easy to do. Sure. Right, that's quite an undertaking. That's going to be quite difficult. And whilst it's not an obvious pathway, we know how difficult that might be. And I drove past Moorabbin Airport, right, and seeing all the light. And I thought to myself, let's go and learn how to fly. Let's become a pilot. There's a bit more of an obvious pathway to do that, but I tell you what, we know it's not easy. Yeah. Trading, let's become a trader. You just got to buy and sell. Sounds easy. Where's the pathway? It doesn't immediately pop into your mind, oh, this will be like learning Chinese. This is going to be really difficult. It doesn't pop into your mind at all. It's just all you got to do is buy and sell stuff. And prices move up and down. You buy and sell. No obvious pathway. So it's very easy, and I'm, I'm one of them back in the day. It's very easy to think, how difficult can this really be? It can't be that difficult. So let's have a crack. And then it hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. When you realize, yeah, actually, this might be a little bit more difficult than I gave it credit for. So to answer your question, long way about, a big mistake, and we could talk about not enough discipline, too much emotion, and not having a plan, and we could talk about all those other things, but maybe one of the biggest ones is underestimating the work required. Do you think, uh, unfortunately, sometimes 
our profession, this profession gets hijacked by uh, the sharks. And, you know, you see those headlines, learn to trade, learn to make a million dollars a year, learn to trade successfully <coughs> with five minutes a day and all yep. those sorts of things. You know, buy this system and you're guaranteed profits and so on and so forth. It, it is uh, still a very unfortunately uh, a realm for people trying to sell get-rich-quick schemes. Yeah, and it's probably, as much as I thought that probably died down or has died down over the years, I'm sure there are still companies out there trying to do that. And, yeah, look, I think that doesn't help. Mm. The story about, you know, I've already made heaps of money today and I haven't even got out of my pyjamas. Yeah. You know, I haven't even had my second sip of my Earl Grey this morning and I've already executed these trades. And, well, you, you know that resonates with people very well sure about doing that from your kitchen table and all that sort of stuff or of course (laughs) i saw a youtube ad just the other day i think it was about trading but it was certainly it struck me straight away he's driving on his golf cart and he's got the gopro whatever he's set up on the front of the golf cart and he's driving along with his mate with the clubs in the back and i knew straight away this clown is going to be saying about you know look look at my lifestyle, look what I'm able to do. I'm playing golf today. You're sitting at work, you know, working in a job you don't like. Look at me, I'm on the golf course. So follow, you know, I didn't even get to that point. As soon as it said skip ad, I did it, right? Yeah. So, um, but I just, straight away I saw that and thought about all those schemes and things over the years that I've seen about, you know, sitting at your bathroom, sorry, your, your kitchen uh, table having breakfast and already made trades and already made heaps of money and that doesn't help. I think charging people lots and lots of money, and I mean $10,000 plus, doesn't help. And one of the things that I'm very, and I've been very against this for a long time, is this is not going to work out for people. Some people, this is just not going to work. And I'd hate for you to spend $20,000 finding that out. You know, I I don't like the idea of people putting in a lot of money for a course, thinking, well, if it's worth that much money, it must be good. Surely I'm going to have a much better chance of success. Realising there's more work involved, I'm not that disciplined, I'm too emotional, there's no way I'll be able to do this, and then having paid all that money to learn that, I think is a bit unfortunate. Yeah, sure. Um, So, yeah, it doesn't help. And I think doing this from a beach, doing this with your phone, sitting on your lap, you know, whilst you're lounging, you know, by the water and all that, that appeals to people. And, yeah, you can do that with trading. Absolutely you can do that, but... You've got to realise there's other things in life, like more important things like family and being yeah. a you know role model for your children and being a parent. And well, even if you do so, get to that point, as we've talked about, there's a mountain of work that goes into it. If right. you want to have the lifestyle, I mean, yes. like you say, you do get, do get to play golf twice a week, but you've you've paid your dues, if you will. <clears> you've thrown up in the shower and done the back testing <laughs> and spent the five years and and done all the hard work to get to where you needed to go and you've arrived and yeah. you get to enjoy the spoils yeah, of no, it. That's true. And it's also a very personal choice that I have chosen to do that. And there, were, there are periods of time when I don't do very well in the markets and I accept that now. Yeah. Whereas if you have a paid job, regular, secure, you could have a pretty ordinary month or whatever and, and just, guess what? The paycheck arrives. You know? sure. And I've adopted a particular lifestyle where I don't have that guarantee but I have been able to be involved with my children's schools, you know, going on camps and doing all those sort of things and walking them to and from school until they got too old where they weren't interested in doing that. You know, that's, but I've been able to do that, but there's consequences of that. Well, there's other things, you know, potential negatives of if the market just goes crazy, too volatile, well, guess what? I step out of the market yeah. and all of a sudden now I'm derived of income. Sorry, sure. I am denied income, you know, because there's just not the opportunities there. So it is very much a personal choice. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but, you know, yeah, I, I just come back, I think, to 
it's a very personal choice. Sure. And that's the, from back in the early days, I decided being at home with my children growing up was just something I loved doing. And guess what? I, I, set, in, I set in motion a path to help me get, to get that. And the whole idea of having a job, you know, five days a week and hopping on a train going to the city every day didn't appeal to me at all. Sure. Um, yeah, anyway, very personal choice. Uh, you did touch on something there, uh, which I'll just follow up with you about trading on the mobile phone. Thoughts yep. around that? It yep. does, you know, again, a lot of people promoting that sort of thing these days. Yeah, I'm not a fan at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not a fan. It's almost too convenient. And, you know, I've done a lot of work in Singapore and they're probably more on their phones than anybody, you know. You, you stand on the train of a morning and everybody's on their phones. probably the same here as well, but I'm just very obvious there. And there was a massive push at the time about trading on your mobile. I remember years ago, trading on your mobile and then the convenience of doing that. And it scares me a little bit because I think you can be almost too impulsive. Gambling. I mean, yeah, it is. it can be that. And to me, good trading is not being on the train going to work. Punting the lights out. A yeah. little bit, and being yeah. a little bit too... Re- What's the word I'm looking for? Well, it almost sort of promotes, I've got 15, a 15-minute 15 train ride. Yes. How much money can <clears> I make <throat> in the next 15 minutes? Potentially. Punting these yeah. speculative A little bit too things. impulsive. Yeah. A little bit, yeah, and I don't think that's what good trading is. Sure. I mean, even looking at a chart, I don't want to look at a chart that's only four inches wide. Mm-hmm. or, you know, five inches wide. I want to look at one that's 20-plus inches. With all the data what? that you want to see. All that, yeah. and very clear. And, yeah, I don't want to look at something that... I don't want to be that impulsive mm-hmm. where, yeah, I could make a bit of money in the next 10 minutes. Or look at this. I'm just, oh, I'll just trade it because I can do it right there on my phone. I've been a huge opponent of trading on the mobile. But, again, it's very much a personal choice. I just have reservations about it being too easy. Yeah. To be literally, hey, I'm, I'm five minutes early for my meeting because everyone's on their phones all the time when they're flicking through that social media or this one. They open up the trading platform and sure enough, they see an opportunity. They, they see something. They may even have a trade open and think, oh, I better do something about this. Whereas their best course of action is to leave it alone and let yeah. the trading plan take care of it. But no, they're watching it right. So, yeah, I just don't like it. Too impulsive. It's almost too accessible. And I think good trading is just a little bit more structured, a little bit more boring, and just being in the same environment and looking at big charts and being a little bit more process-driven rather than too impulsive. That's my take on yeah, mobile trading. As convenient as it is, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. Hmm. Uh, this next question uh, we could talk about for hours. It could almost be a, a separate podcast. <coughs> Technical or fundamental analysis or both? The short, the short answer. Because again, we could be. I'll, I'll set you up nicely there. I thank you for saying that. Look, I think you could make a very strong argument for a combination of both. You make an incredibly strong, probably the most compelling argument for both. I think if you're going to be a fundamentalist, I think ignoring the price is not a good thing. I said it earlier that the price is the ultimate uh, litmus test. It's the ultimate indicator of whether you're going to make money or not, because that's the thing that determines it, and nothing else does. Nothing in the financials directly impacts the price. Um, your opinion certainly doesn't. Any research you did over the weekend doesn't. So even if you are purely a fundamentalist, I think having some regard for the price is really, really important. And there are many things that happen with price that you just can't logically explain, but you don't have to. And I think fundamentalists try to sometimes. And I think that can go down a bit of a rabbit hole, as in, why is price doing this? I'm trying to pour through these numbers to work out why people are doing this. 
And at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter. That's what prices do. Price price, and the yeah. analogy I'll use that really struck me last year was when toilet paper was disappearing off the shelves. And everyone was going, why is everyone buying the toilet paper? COVID-19 doesn't cause dysentery. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cause you to go to the toilet 10 times a day. So why is everyone going for toilet paper? And it's still never been explained of why there was this rapid, you know, this massive demand for toilet paper. So you could sit at home and go, no, no, I'm not going to buy toilet paper because I know it doesn't cause dysentery. I know it doesn't cause issues related to using toilet paper. So I'm not going to buy any. But guess what? You wouldn't have any toilet paper yeah, left because everyone else is buying it. Now, you can't logically explain why everyone else is buying it, but the reality is they were. Mm-hmm. And the reality is you could sit at home and go, no, 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 I know they shouldn't be buying toilet paper because COVID-19 doesn't cause any of those symptoms. They shouldn't be buying toilet paper. I'm not going to buy any. And guess what? You're left without some. Why? Yeah. Because of this belief that I know that that's not right. Well, it didn't matter. That's what was happening. That was the reality. And I think that happens with price a lot. Is that you can't you, you just can't justify why price is doing what it's doing? But the reality is that it's doing it, and there are certain levels of demand and supply for reasons that we'll never be able to explain. Yeah. But ours is not our purpose is not to explain why price is doing it. It's to benefit from that. And to study why people are doing things and what price is doing when it hits that resistance level and everything else, as opposed to trying to pour through financial numbers to justify why it's doing that. I know I've spoken for longer than you wanted me to speak to, but I think, look, technical analysis for me really resonated with me. It was that clarity, defining rules, being very objective, being very clinical, unemotional. To me, fundamentals is a lot about stories and it's about people, about organisations, whereas looking at a chart is none of that. And it can be very clinical and objective and unemotional. I think that is good for trading. So I'm very much a technical analyst. Look, I'm aware of fundamentals. I really don't follow it that much. I certainly don't with equities. Currencies, I know, is a very news... So we don't talk about currencies. very news-driven. But to me, it's very much about technicals. But I think you can make a very compelling argument to combine both. Very good. Thank you. I've never heard a better analogy oh. about toilet paper. Oh, it was the toilet paper sell-off. The great toilet paper sell-off. Yeah. I've never, I've never heard that used better. That's fantastic, and I think uh, even I was sitting here nodding, going, "Yeah, that makes perfect sense." That will never be explained, but it just happened. So you could sit there and deny it all you like, but that was the reality of it. Very, very interesting. Uh, two more questions. We, we've talked a lot, um, but there's two more that I would like to ask you. One is, uh, why do you always say keep it simple? Because <laughs> oh. you, you do, it's one of those things that you say 500 times, but I think it is important. <clears throat> and as you may remember, whenever I sign my book. I always write, keep it simple. Uh, Look, simple works is probably the easy answer. Simple processes, simple rules do work. And why I tell people to keep it simple is the fact that it's very easy for us to complicate things when we come to trading. And the short of it is we start out thinking this is going to be easy money. We soon realise it's not that easy. It's probably the hardest easy money there is. And we then intuitively believe that this is actually quite difficult to be successful at we need to develop a very complex, complicated solution. And it doesn't even occur to us to have a simple solution. So we go down this path of trying to really complicate things because trading's difficult. Therefore, difficult equals complicated solution. It's counterintuitive to even think that simple will work. So I try to remind people that simple does work. It makes it easier for you to implement and it just makes it easier for you. And I've never described trading as easy, but I think having simple rules makes it less difficult. For sure. you. That's why I want to remind people. And someone taught me once as human beings, 
we're really, really good at complicating things that don't need to be complicated. And the, the phrase that person used, I think, was for, for us as people, it's simple to be hard, but hard to be simple. So it's really easy for us to complicate things, but it's actually really hard and difficult for us to simplify things. And I think in trading, I want to remind people all the time that if you go down a more simpler path and developing simpler rules, I think you'll just find things work a bit easier for you. And a bit, yeah, I just think it's a better path. And that's, again, personal opinion and others will develop complicated things. And, you know, I've been to people's homes back in the day where I say, well, let's have a look at your charts. And, you know, I've said this here before, I couldn't even see the price. There's yeah, this, so this many is, things uh, overlaid with, the, you know, the, on that chart. I just, that to me is just the wrong path. Just way too complex. Yeah, that is one of my favourite stories, and I'm glad you told it. Uh, that one about yeah, you you there were so many indicators on the screen, and I've written about it in the newsletter as well that you literally couldn't actually see what the price of yeah. the underlying asset was doing. And the the comment that you made, I think, the, to the person that you were coaching was like, "How can you ever expect to make a buying and selling decision when you can't even see the price of the thing that you want to buy you and know, sell?" It just struck me as having so many things on. It just really stood out as having so many things on the chart. Yeah. It, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. And wow, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear the story for the next 10 minutes of, you know, how you come to your decision. And it's like, you know, it's this has to do this and this line has to go above that and this has to be more than 58 degrees and that then changes to yellow. And then, <laughs> you know, if the stock begins with a letter beginning with M or lower in the alphabet, you know, it does the, all the. If it's raining outside, all that. if there's a bird yeah. singing out we the could trees. Keep, we could yeah. keep going and get silly, but it almost got to that point of just yeah, sure. so many conditions. I'm going, wow, this is... And then the exceptions to those rules, like <laughs> yeah. you were just talking Let about. Let me give you exceptions one through seven. Yeah. In 27 parts, you know, it just... <laughs> Very interesting. Last one, we were talking before, or you were talking before about uh, investing and courses and obviously not paying too much for guidance that's not good. And the reality is that we're engaging you to do a second course for Marcus today. You've already done an in- introductory course and you are building a more advanced course for us uh, it certainly won't be the $10,000 that you were talking about. But just broad strokes, can you uh, let the people know a little bit about what you're trying to deliver in, in building this course for us? Sure, thank you. Um, so it'll be a lot on technical analysis, uh, just a lot of different things. And uh, interesting thing about technical analysis, as I say, I think you need to learn lots of technical analysis because you it helps you discover what's going to work and what's not going to work. But then I ask you to ignore most of it because you can't use it all. But I think you need to learn it all to put yourself in that position. And there's clearly a lot of things about the psychology of trading, you know, the six inches in between your ears and how to master that and and develop those attributes and become more disciplined and more patient and all those other things. And then, of course, just as important as all that is the managing risk side of things and just position sizing and setting exits and how to manage trades and so, yeah, I, I don't think we've finalised the exact number of modules, but it's a lot. Uh, just a whole lot of different topics and I'm probably reluctant to use the word advanced. It's more extensive. Sure. Just way, so much more material in more depth. And sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but it's just sort of, when I think of advanced, I almost think of more complex and I always want to simplify things. And But it's certainly things in way much more, much more depth, a lot more topics, a lot more just practical ways of how do we, you know, yes, I know, I know, to, I know how to, I have to, you know, set a stop loss here, but how do I do that? Well, of course, we're going to have modules who talk in very specific terms about how to do that. Very practical. And the, the whole aim is that you want actionable content. 
we want things that are you know people are going to watch this or listen to it and then go well i'm going to take action and, yeah. and implement that straight away that's something i can take action on and I, I think that's ultimately what we want is we don't want people a whole lot of people sitting watching the course nodding their heads going yeah that makes sense we and want them applying to, it correct <laughs> we want them to implement that and take action and, and you know implement those changes and and, and hopefully see improvement. Fantastic. Well, Stuart, I think that wraps it up. I will leave one final thought. I would say over the past year, it's probably been my best year in trading. Of course, the market has been rallying, but as I was saying in a podcast the other week, you still have to do the work. You still have to have a process. You still have to work through it. And I would humbly submit that uh, the people that have been following the recommendations in the newsletter that I've put forward have done quite well, and I have had feedback to that effect. And I would like to say that it all stems from you. You literally taught me everything that I know. Uh, Certainly, I have gone off and learned a few things myself, but it all began with the structure that you provided with me all those years ago when you thought I wasn't paying attention in that first first (laughs) workshop that I attended. But you certainly set me on a path. And as I said, you've been a great mentor to me. And one of the things that I love, I really do love, is the fact that you've taught me things and then I've passed them on to our subscribers and they've benefited from in the newsletter. And that's the biggest compliment, affirmation, powerful story I could possibly provide. So I would just like to finish on a personal note by saying thank you for everything that you've done for me. And uh, hopefully through this course, you can pass on those, uh, that, those learnings and that knowledge to anyone else who's interested. Thank you, Chris. That's very kind of you to say all those things and very generous of you. But uh, it's been my pleasure. So thank you.